Alright, welcome to episode 12 of Ambushed. Uh, this one is going to be called uh, Reclaiming Perichoresis. I want to do a series every so often, or a, a model, I guess, of podcasts that are designed towards the word reclaiming, like trying to understand a particular word in a different way or a better way than we have in the past. And so this one is perichoresis, which is a really ancient word. But before I get started, I want to say uh, two things. Sorry I haven't done one in a while. I've been rather, um, I don't want to use the word busy, but I've been kind of traveling a bit. I've been on a bus ride out to New Mexico. I've been doing some camp ministry type stuff in South Jersey. And so I've, I've just been rather um, distracted from doing one of these, but I've had this idea for uh, this podcast for quite a while now. And so here we go. But then the second thing I wanted to say was thank you, because if you've been listening from the start, or if this is your first one, I appreciate it. Um, I've gotten a fair number of people that are actually rather interested and think I might have something good to offer, which is a compliment, and thank you for saying that. But I uh, I find this is a really fun thing to do, and so I want to keep it up. So please let me know if there's something that you want me to try to talk about or just ways to improve it in the future, because I could see maybe doing this for quite a bit. Maybe not forever, but... Um, podcasts seem to be a really interesting form of communication and even ways to start discussions. So I'm going to keep it up. And if you want me, I'll keep doing it. So here we go. Uh, reclaiming perichoresis. All right. So last week I spent um, six days in the Pine Barrens um, with a number of other people doing some youth ministry to some high schoolers. And I had the opportunity to teach a class, which I I called Don't Sign Up For This, which I knew would be really wonderful anti-marketing. Don't sign up for this, right? So kudos to those high schoolers for signing up, even though they had no idea what I was going to talk about. But um, get this, my first class was pretty much about the unknowability of the divine that God cannot be known. And uh, I think we, we kind of went to some not scary places, but we kind of were brought into some humbling spaces where we have to recognize, man, God is a bigger mystery than, than maybe we allow ourselves to admit. But then the second class that I taught was that this really big God can come close in our moments where we are the weakest, where we've been hurt the most, the places that have hurt us are actually the places where God is maybe closest, you know? So it was really wonderful. And in the midst of all of this, I, I really had this heavy thought that, you know what? God is nothing like Zeus, right? I mean, that shouldn't even have to be said, but I think we often read the Bible or we often view religions and we often take a look at perspectives of the divine with this underlying 
assumption that God looks like Zeus, an ancient deity that sits on a throne on some mountain top with a giant beard ready to throw down thunderbolts and lightning, who's altogether rather disinterested in the world unless there's something that Zeus wants. So no wonder we often bring um, problems or difficulties when we try to have any kind of faith because whether we like to admit it or not, probably Zeus is the main image that comes to our minds. And that's a problem because... God's not human, <laughs> and God doesn't look like a human. I mean, maybe the person of Jesus does, one person of the Trinity, but whatever it means to be in the image of God maybe is something deeper or larger than just being human. Maybe it has something more to do with mercy and compassion and forgiveness and love and those things. Maybe to be in the image of God really has to do with reflecting those qualities more than ourselves being set up on thrones ready to throw down if somebody offends us. I think it was Pascal who said we have been made in God's image. And so we've returned the favor that we make God in our own image. And so, of course, if we're fussy and narrow-minded and hold grudges, of course, we're going to turn around and think God is fussy, narrow-minded, and holds grudges. But what if God is altogether different than those things? What if God of the Old Testament and the New ain't Zeus. Huh? So uh, a, few, a few podcasts ago, I shared with you that every so often, it seems like in my life, there are times when there's a little voice in the back of my head that says, hey, pay attention. Something is happening. Well, one of these moments happened maybe two and a half, three weeks ago, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to share them, but this moment has been stuck in my mind, so I think I gotta, right? So I had mentioned that I went on a, I went out to New Mexico. I took a 46 hour bus ride, 46 hours. Every hour and a half, you had to get off the bus because other people had to get on or some people had to get off or they had to service the bus, check the air pressure, empty the bathroom in the back. Oh man. So I didn't ever get to sleep for more than an hour straight after 46 hours in a cramped seat with 50 other people on the bus. So we left from Philly and made our way west. And as we went west, we also kind of... Um, drove a little bit south too because I was headed to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And one of the latter stops was into 
Amarillo, Texas. Now, we had pulled in maybe around 2.30 in the morning and we had an hour layover while they were checking the air pressure and changing the motor oil and making sure the bus wasn't going to break down in the, Tex in the Texas and New Mexico heat, right? So there we are, 3 in the morning, just about to reboard after an hour being off. And everyone has got that tired and uh, exhausted look. I'm like, why am I awake right now? You know, and there was a family there, one family that had two young kids, and then there was another family that just had one. But these three little toddlers were running around so loud and so fast. Um, everyone else just had that tired scowl of a look. But these three toddlers, I don't think one was older than three. We're just laughing and they were running around and they were just tumbling over one another. And like quite literally one would run, fall, and then the other one would run and trip over that one. And then the third would run and trip over those two. And they would just laugh and giggle and their parents would tell them to slow down, to not run so much, not be so loud. And man, there were some grumps that were there that just gave them bad looks, but in the back of my mind, there was a, a voice that said, pay attention. Something's happening. And then the word perichoresis came to mind. Now, perichoresis is a really old word. It's an ancient word. It's a word that was adopted by the church early on. So much so that it became one of the main descriptive words of God. And so in the 300s, it was formalized into a, a main document. And it was used in some of these discussions as they were trying to understand God, specifically the Trinity. So peri means around, and choresis is kind of where we get the word choreography from. And so the word perichoresis quite literally means to dance around. And so in some ways, some people have said, well, maybe it means like interpenetrating. These three parts are, are, are weaving into one another. But that's how they decided to talk about God as the Trinity, as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of God. These three are like a dance. And when I looked at these toddlers, they weren't doing any formalized dance, but they were at least enjoying themselves and they were tumbling over one another, just enjoying being, not just enjoying being in Texas, but just enjoying each other. It's kind of funny because it sounds so new age to say that God's like a dance. But in reality, that's a really ancient, ancient way of looking at God. 
as a dance, as something that's beautiful, as something that's not static but constantly moving, as something of which we have the opportunity to join in. You see, I, I remember reading a quote that talks about it's from Mark Twain, who said the best cure for Christianity is reading the Bible, which is hilarious, right? That's really a good one. But it's true that if you want to have even your Christian faith challenged, if you want to have your perspective of the divine rocked over and over and over again, then read it. Because it's in there that we get to see that God is nothing like Zeus. That the, the divine is not malicious or malevolent, not ready to throw down, but rather more excited to maybe put down some band-aids. Now, of course, there's going to be people that talk about what about the Old Testament passages and I have to say there also are some New Testament passages where God seems pretty angry. But does God ever get angry for the right reasons? I think is the better question. Especially passages where it seems like God says, hey, we need to take out these people groups. Well, of course, to a person that's always lived their life on top, who's never been oppressed, of course, to hear that God would take out the people on top is discordant. We don't like it. But to the people who have always been on the bottom, who have always been oppressed, to hear that God says, wait, 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 people are doing what to you? We got to get rid of them. They can join us if they want. If they want to change their ways, they can join us. But I'm not going to let these people continue to be oppressed. You see, I think there's even ways of understanding the Old Testament passages that maybe tend to make a little bit more sense when you put yourself in the place of the oppressed or the hurt or the dejected and rejected. Because I think ultimately God wants us to join up in the divine dance behind the cosmos the stars are all moving. They're all in their place. And they're tumbling over one another. And yet here we are with some scowled faces. Grumpy and frumpy and sitting there like, oh. Like those other people in the Texas bus stop. I think it would be helpful for the church I think it would be helpful for even the rest of the world for the church to reclaim perichoresis. Because in a lot of churches, and maybe even when we admit it to ourselves, we preach Zeus. We don't necessarily preach three toddlers tumbling over one another in joy, hoping that we'll join them. See, that's a completely different view of God. That's one that's far more innocent, but lovely and attractive and challenging. 
But you know what? It's also a view of God that doesn't have dominance as its main virtue. That doesn't use fear as its main motivator. I'm convinced that if you want to be somebody who's concerned with living the life the divine wants for you, it means finding the ways in which the divine is dancing all around you. And then learning how to take part in it. To join in it. Because this dance is going somewhere. It's got an end. It's headed to some place. And so then the question is, are you willing and wanting to join the eternal perichoresis? Mm. That's something to think about, right? So I think that's all for now. That's probably more than enough for you to think about and muse about for a whole week. I'm going to try to come up with some more ones in the next few days because I know I haven't in the past three weeks. So I'm sure we'll have some more podcasts coming up soon. If you like this, then feel free to share it. If you didn't like it, you don't have to, but I would appreciate it. All right? So until next time, I hope you also get ambushed by some new thought, by new some new perspective. And maybe even, I hope that you have a little voice in the back of your head in some moment that says, hey, pay attention. Something's happening. And I hope that somehow you learn something new about the universe, about yourself, and the God that's behind it all. All right? Till next time. I don't know how to end it. <laughs> I guess that was a good end. I'll catch you next time. Bye.